It's good to see you all here. Glad you're here with us this weekend. My name is Casey, and I want to say hi to everybody at our campuses, Homer Glen, New Lenox. If you're watching online, hi to you too. Thanks for wearing pants this time. That's helpful. Um, we're, we're wrapping up this series this weekend called I Love My Church. I wore the shirt so I wouldn't forget the title. Super helpful. Um, first week, Tim talked to us about serving and taking up the towel and how we serve one another. And last week, he talked about how we were meant to grow together, that we were meant to not live in isolation, but we were meant to grow in relationships. And so I want to finish by talking about why we're here, not on earth, but why we're in the spaces we are today, whatever campus you're at or if you're here, why are we here today? Uh, my wife and I just celebrated 18 years of marriage this past summer. Yeah, this past August. Thank you. And so we had this trip planned. We were going to go to Fort Myers, Florida, but I don't know if you know this, there's this thing going on right now called the Red Tide. Um, it's like basically every horror sci-fi movie you've ever imagined. It's this fungi that grows in the ocean and it kills everything, like manatees and whales and stuff. And it releases this bacteria into the air that if you breathe it, you have like asthma symptoms. So I couldn't think of anything less romantic than, honey, let's go to the beach. Please remember your oxygen mask. So, so we canceled that trip and instead we went to Arizona in August. Um, <laughs> It's 175,000 degrees, and actually it was really good. We took our, our daughter with us, and we, uh, we got, to, got to see some interesting things. We got to walk around in the brown sands and the barrel cacti. We got to be a part of something called a haboob, which looks like this, which is both a giant dust storm and your junior hire's new favorite word. Um, so we got to be a part of that, and we got to spend some time swimming and hang out with each other. And also, we started reflecting about 18 years. It's a long time. And as we reflected about it, I started thinking about our first year of marriage, which was a train wreck, actually. <laughs> the first year was really bad, uh, mostly because I brought some baggage uh, with me, and my wife's an only child. Any of you only children here? Y'all have space issues, by the way. Like, I grew up with a sister, so I know that you draw a line and, like, this is my space and that's your space. My wife didn't know that, so we had to figure that out. I actually remember one, we had these fights our first year. I remember one fight where we were like, it was the screaming, swearing, throwing things fight. I don't know if you've had one of these before. And it was really intense. And so much so, a friend of ours had come over for dinner and he waited outside. And then we heard the door slide open and heard him go, Can I come in now? Like, it was that kind of fight. Why would I think of that on our anniversary? Well, what we were celebrating out in the desert wasn't 2018. We weren't celebrating the fact that it was this year. We were celebrating the fact that even though we started off in such a rough spot, we grabbed each other's hands and said, this is what we got, this is what we're doing, and we pushed forward. What we were doing in that moment is saying, my, 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 look how far we've come. At the beginning of the Bible, there's a story about how we got what we have in earth. It's creation. And it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty. Hang on to that. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Formless and empty. Think about wild and uninhabited kind of places. Everything was chaos, sort of like the first year of a marriage. And God steps into this place, and he begins to make stuff. 
And he begins, he shifts the, the land apart and he creates seas, massive oceans teeming with life. And after he makes the seas, this is not all in order, but this all happened. He, he created the stars and he flung them in the sky. In the Milky Way, the galaxies, the stars, and the cosmos took shape. And then he raised his hands, and the mountains stood up like guests at a wedding when a bride walks in the room. And then he created animals, all sorts of animals, ones you'd find in Africa or North America, South America, wherever you might be, Asia. He created all of these amazing things. It was so beautiful, in fact, that when the Psalms talk about creation, it says this, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands. It's so incredible that it doesn't even need a translator. And then, after that, He made us. This is what it says. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, created man and woman equally, gave them equal responsibility over creation. God made us. And then he looked back at all the stuff that he had made, the birds and the seas and the bees and the trees, and he said, this is all very good. And very good in the Hebrew is this word, tov meod. It means exceedingly pleasant and beautiful and good. So he looks back at all the stuff he made and says, this is amazing, this is good, and he never changes his mind about that. But after that, this other epic moment happens. And this is what it says. It says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is an amazing moment. God had made all the stuff that you and I see, all these big and beautiful complex things, and then he made you and I who are all beautiful and complex and messed up in some ways or another. And he looks at all that and he says, this is all very good. But then he says, but this day, this one day, this day is different. God ceases, the word there is Shabbat, he ceases from everything that he does and he rests. And he said, this is holy, this is unique, this is different. This day is different from any other day. This is a day set apart. And this gave birth to something called Sabbath. Now, if you don't know what Sabbath is, most of us know it as the day you can't get Chick-fil-A. But um, for me growing up, Sabbath was the day that the grocery store was closed, but all the buffet restaurants were still open somehow. It really doesn't matter what the day is. What God is saying is there's a day I have set aside that is different and unique and special. Now, understand, God didn't need a break. God didn't need a nap. It's not like he had his hands on his knees and he was like, boy, the Rockies almost did me in, guys. Give me just a second here. Ugh. God didn't need a break. He didn't need a rest. He didn't need a nap. The purpose of this day was something different. This day was set aside for celebration. Mountains, bees, trees, and seas, very good. People, very good. Let's stop for a minute and just celebrate that. God looked at what was once wild and uninhabitable and saw what it was now and called it very good and said, my, 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 let's talk about how far we've come. And two friends of mine, Daniel and Jordan, and they're a young couple, and I actually had the chance, my wife and I, we were their premarital counselors. How about that? Go from our first year of swearing and fighting to premarital counseling, right? This is, there's hope for you guys. 
And so we got to walk with them through the early stages of them getting ready to get married, and I got to actually be the guy who did the wedding, officiate the wedding. And as I was putting together some words for their ceremony, I found this quote from a novel that I love by an author called Wendell Berry. And the novel is called Hannah Coulter, and in the story there are these two people, Hannah and Nathan, her husband. And Nathan is like this really gritty, hard-edged farmer. And at one point in the book, he finds out that he has stage four cancer. And he decides he's not going to take treatment. And so they're at home one day after this news has settled in, and Hannah is at the sink washing. Uh, actually, she's making eggs. And she's whisking, not washing, whisking this bowl full of eggs, and she begins to cry. And her tears begin to fall into the mixture. And then eventually her nose begins to leak into the mixture, and she ruins the whole thing. And she throws it in the sink, and she looks at him, and she goes, so what? So you're just going to give up and die? And this steely-edged farmer looks at her and he says this, Dear Hannah, I'm going to live right on. What he meant was, no matter what happens, we're going to go forward. We're going to keep going, no matter what happens next. And I don't know why, but for Daniel and Jordan, this quote so impacted them that they both decided to get it tattooed on their forearms along with the date of their wedding. Why would they do something like that? I think it's because life often is challenging between the celebrations. I mean, think about this. The year between the birthdays may be filled with diagnosis of illness or loss of a job. The year between Christmases may include the loss of someone we love. It also may include the loss of one of our faculties or something that we believed we'd always have forever. The year between the anniversaries might include hurt and infidelity. You see, in the midst of all that, we need something to keep us going. We need something to remember. We need something to remind us that we're part of something bigger. And so, in Genesis, you hear about God ceasing, but you don't hear about that again until a book called Exodus. And in Exodus, there's this big group of slaves who have been led into freedom, and they're in the desert moving towards hope moving towards life, but they are in a really tough spot because they're not sure where the next meal is coming from, they're not sure they're gonna have enough water, and they think the guy leading them may in fact be out of his mind. And into the middle of that, God actually gives them a commandment. It says this, remember the Sabbath day, the Shabbat day, this day to cease, and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, a ceasing and celebrating day to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. From six days the Lord made heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in him, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord has blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. He tells them, you have a journey in front of you. You've got stuff that you've got to do. You've got six days worth of work. Go do it. But just remember there's a day coming where you stop and remember you're part of something bigger. There's a day coming where you realize, even though this is difficult sometimes, even though there are challenges in our relationships, stop every once in a while and remember there's something else going on. This is why we love celebrations. This is why we love parties. Listen, if you, if you on a random Tuesday at some point whip out some candles and some cake and some ice cream, your family may go, I think we need to keep an eye on dad. But if you go, but it's my birthday, then it's like, well, then bring on more cake for crying out loud. Aren't you amazed at the stuff you can get away with on your birthday? 
I'm going to have seven pieces of cake. Well, it is your birthday. You know, any other day you can't do that, but apparently today it's fine. Celebrations remind us that there's something bigger going on, that we're a part of something amazing. See, when Daniel and Jordan look at their arms, no matter how difficult things are, no matter how hard the six days of work is becoming, they can look at that and say, there's something bigger that we're a part of here. There was a day we celebrated. And when our anniversary comes back around again, we get to celebrate that again. We get to remember we are a part of something bigger. We get to hold on to the fact that we stop and we celebrate and we know something else is happening here, something more. We talk about we love our church, why I love this church, why we love this church. is because when we get together, we celebrate. This day, this place, this time is different from anything else you're going to do this week. And when we're here, what we're saying is we believe we're a part of something bigger. Bigger than the six days of the grind and the commute and the work and the labor and the forgiveness. We're, big, we're part of something bigger than that when we gather here together. And so we sing and we listen and we get challenged and we sit across from people who are going through the same things we are so we can remember something else is going on. We can remember that there is a God who loves us unconditionally, and we get to sit with that in the songs and the teaching. Like the psalmist says, he says, oh God, we meditate on your unfailing love as we worship in your temple. Okay, we're not in a temple, but we are doing this. We remember that before we ever got our act together, while our lives were still a blazing dumpster fire, God loved us in an unstoppable and unfailing kind of way and now invites us to be a part of something bigger. And he did it before we even know we needed it. Jesus came because God said, for this is how we lo God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. If you are here and you don't know that this is true for you, just know we celebrate something and you are invited to be a part of it. The reckless, unstoppable love of God that is for every human being on the face of the planet, that's why we're here to remember that and to celebrate it together, to look back on the last six days or the last six years and go, man, look how far we've come. The love of God has changed us, transformed us. There's something we're celebrating going on right now. The God who loved us at our worst brings us together today to remind us that he has in mind our best. So when we come together, there are a few things that happen that we need to, now you can, listen, you can worship anywhere, okay? It doesn't just happen in this room or in the campus that you're at. You can worship anywhere, in your car. I tend to do a lot of it in the shower because that's focused time. You can do it wherever you are, but there's something different that happens when we're all here together. And so I want to talk about that real quickly. There's one thing that happens. The first thing that happens is this. We celebrate what matters most. When we're together, we celebrate what matters most. I was listening to an interview this week uh, on NPR on a show called This American Life with a guy named Frank Borman. And there's a quote from Frank, and Frank says this, space, science fiction, it all really, really bores me. Now, you hear that and you're like, I have no idea why that makes sense. Here's why that makes sense. This is a picture of Frank Borman in his prime. The guy who said space and science fiction bores me was the guy who commanded the Apollo 8 moon rocket that was the first manned space flight to orbit the moon. Sounds right, doesn't it? 
I hate space, but I'm going to carry this. I'm so over space, but I'm going to go to the moon. You interview this guy, and he's talking about this amazing mission. And one of the other amazing things that happened on this mission is they took one of the most iconic photos of the Earth from the moon that's ever been taken. This is called Earthrise. You've probably seen it before. It's the first time anyone had ever captured the Earth. That's an actual picture. That's not computer generated. That mission captured that picture. Not to mention, if you're thinking that name Borman sounds familiar, he's the dude that the expressway is named after. He was born in Gary, and that's why they named the expressway after him. When he came back from this moon landing, from this moon orbit mission, he immediately, when they landed, quit the NASA space program. If he had stayed on board, he most likely would have been on the moon landing. He would have been one of the first men to walk on the moon. And in the interview, they ask him, now in his 80s, why he would do something like that. He's been spending the last 10 years taking care of his wife who has Alzheimer's. And they ask, why would you give up? Why would you give up the prestige of being one of the first people to walk on the moon? Why would you do that? And this is what he says. He says, I love my family more than anything in the world. I would have never subjected them to the dangers simply for me to be an explorer. See, when we talk about worship, the word worship literally means to bow down. It means to get, give ultimate reverence and respect and value and priority to something. So for Frank Borman, he had this choice. Do I bow down to the space program and give my life no matter what it might take from me? Or do I bow down to my family who needs me right now and who will continue to need me? The act of worship is the act of saying what matters most to me. And we as a people are capable of worshiping just about anything. If you don't believe me, I went to see Taylor Swift with my daughter at Soldier Field. We are capable of worshiping just about everything. She hadn't even come out and there were girls over here crying. I'm like, why are you crying? We are capable of worshiping just about anything. We can worship our relationships. And listen, I don't worship my marriage. I don't. I love my wife and I'm devoted to her, but I don't worship my marriage and she doesn't worship our marriage either. And the reason why is because what happens when it starts to get difficult? If I give ultimate value to this thing and it begins to be strained, then suddenly the thing that matters most is starting to fall apart. And what do I do? We can't give ultimate value to our jobs because one day we might not have them. We can't give ultimate value to our stuff because it'll break and fall apart and need upgraded. The honest truth is God is the only one who can bear the weight of our worship. He's the only thing that can matter most because he's the only one qualified for the job. What we worship is what we give ultimate value to, but also what we worship determines what we sacrifice. We give up things based on what matters most to us. We give up things based on what we want the most. And so this God who bears the weight of our worship, we come together with him and we say, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. He's the only one who can care for us. He's the only one that can take us through the six days of whatever it is we're trying to get through. And he deserves and beckons and calls for ultimate value. He is the thing that matters most to us. And that's why it's so important for us to come together because we do need to be reminded of that because we forget it. We're led to try and worship and give ultimate value to other things. That's just the way it is. So it's important for us to be at one of the campuses here on a regular basis because we get reminded of that.
And you may ask me, so can I be a follower of Jesus and never go to church? Sure. But I would also say, do you feel like you could be married and never celebrate an anniversary? I'd be careful with that one. (laughs) Can you be alive and never celebrate a birthday? Sure. But will you ever really thrive? Will you ever really know the goodness of blowing out the candles, as many as there might be? The goodness of ceasing and celebrating the fact that you are loved and connected and alive. Sure, we could, we could do this and not ever be together, but when we do that, we would miss out on one of the greatest things, which is to be reminded of what matters most and be able to sit together and say, man, look how far we've come. Look how far we've come. But I do want to admit to something. Uh, church is weird. What happens at Parkview stays at Parkview. Church is weird. Because think about this. Think about if I were to invite you to something, I would go, hey, I want you to come to this thing with me. And here's what we're going to do. We're all going to sit in rows, and then we're going to turn the lights off, and then we're going to sing together. And then after we get done with that, this guy who faintly resembles Jeff Foxworthy is going to come out. (laughs) You know you all were thinking it. And he's going to talk for about half an hour and some really spiritual stuff. After that, we're going to eat a tiny cracker, do a shot of Welch's, and then we're going home. (laughs) If I told you that, you'd be like, I think I'm busy that day, actually. And yet, three campuses, watching online, gathered in this space, we come. Why? Because we need something different. We need to step out of the normal cycle of our life and remember and cease and celebrate this God who loves us immensely. We need to celebrate that we've been created very good and this God celebrates us and lifts us up and gives us energy for the stuff that we have in front of us. We need to remember and be reminded that no matter what happens in these spaces in our campuses, God is the point. God is the point. So if the sermon doesn't connect with you, with us, if one of the musicians misses a note, if we, you don't feel like we should have done a country song because it's torture, which, point taken. Um, remember, that's not the point. The point of us being here is to do what the Apostle Paul says in Acts. He says, so we might seek God and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. God is here. He is the point. And we're here to remember that he is the only one worthy of our worship and our value. Because if we miss that, the wheels begin to fall off. And that's actually what happened in Jesus' day. There were a group of guys called the Pharisees that had missed the point. So Jesus and his disciples are walking around one day, and it says this. One Sabbath, one Shabbat, one cease day, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as he and his disciples made their way through they began to pluck heads of grain, which is technically, by the Pharisees, work. And they're not supposed to work. They're supposed to cease. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath, on the Shabbat, on the cease and celebrate day? Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What Jesus is saying is, you guys have missed the point. The point is not to make sure you cross all the T's and dot all the I's. The point is not to show up on the right day in the right way, say the right things and do the right prayers. That's not the point. The point is this day, this special, unique day is for you to stop, 
to celebrate, to remember the God who is at the point of it all. And if you don't do that, we get lost in the ritual of it. We don't show up here on the weekends to score points with God. We show up here so we can be reminded of what we're here for in the first place, why we're here in the first place, so that we can say, man, look how far we've come. Look how far we've come. Now, obviously, we can't stay here all week. I mean, you could if you want, but we're going to make you vacuum. That's just the way this works. We can't stay here all week. Eventually, we have to go back to our lives, to those six days in between. We, my wife and my, my family, we couldn't stay in Arizona. We had to come back home and do the, you know, pack the lunches and pay the bills and go to work and do all that stuff, which is the second part of this that's really, really helpful, which is one of the things that worship helps us do is to get ready for life between the celebrations. Because you and I have a life that we need to live, and this place and this time helps us to cease and celebrate, but also to give us energy to go back to that stuff that's outside these doors. So Paul puts it this way. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, he doesn't mean literally offer your body as a sacrifice. What he means is everything that's within you, your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, when you go back to life this coming week, when we go back to life this coming week, we put our whole heart into taking the God that we discover here and bringing him into everything that we do. Every decision we make, every word that we say, every interaction that we have, we bring this worship into the six other days of the week. Or in another way, Paul puts it this way. He says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. We give our hearts to this God who is the point of everything. And we take into our brains this thought that there's something bigger going on. And I just got to cease and celebrate that with my friends on this special holy cease and celebrate kind of day. But now I'm going to take that with me into everything that I do next. I'm going to take that mindset. I'm going to take that way of thinking into the way that I deal with my boss that I deal with my coworker who I'd really prefer just slapping in the face. I'm going to take it with me into all those scenarios that happen in the next six days because I know that I'm part of something bigger. Jesus has given us an invitation today, and if you've never taken this invitation, let me offer this to you. Today we stop and we celebrate God's unconditional love, and then we carry that into the week and we begin to live it out in everything that we do. And so if you've never received that before, today could be the day that you say, I want to be a part of this. I want to stop what's been happening the last six days, six years, six decades even. And I want to step into this new way of being. Today is the day you get a chance to do that. Because we leave. I left Arizona celebrating 18 years, but I left ready to work on 19. We leave the birthday, but we celebrate the wisdom that that last year has given us. We leave the graduation party, and we take the training that we've been given to make the world a better, more holy, more unique place. We move forward carrying this stuff into the real life that you and I have in front of us to live. So that one day, maybe next week, maybe a month from now, we can look back and go, man, <laughs> look how far we've come. And then we can stop, and then we can celebrate again.
Worshiping together also helps us do one other thing that I feel like is really important. Worshiping together helps us learn how to do hard things well. Because celebration, we've been talking about celebration, and celebrations can be good things, birthdays, anniversaries, but celebrations can also be hard things. A funeral is a celebration of life. A going away party is a celebration of a person who we are going to miss tremendously. So not all celebrations are super happy. Some of them are are kind of sad. And so what happens in this place is not only do we get to rejoice and celebrate and do all that good stuff for the unconditional love of God, but we also get to learn how to do some really difficult things well. I'm training uh, right now to run a race called Ragnar. Ragnar is a team relay that is 200 miles long, and we are running through Kentucky 48 hours consecutively. Translation, I am an idiot. And so I'm in the midst of this training, and the reason I'm in the middle of this training is not because I just want to beat up my body and make it sore, though that seems to be the point right now. Um, It's to prepare. It's to prepare for that moment when I'm running through the hills of Kentucky from some sort of wildlife creature that's out there in the middle of the night, uh, to prepare for that kind of moment. And so a lot of what we do in here is to do some difficult things so that when we go back to our life in the next six days, we can do better, more beautiful, more holy things. And one of the hard things that we get to do when we're together is to do some confession. Now, I know that word has baggage for a lot of you because of the way you grew up or the tradition you grew up in, but listen, here's what confession is and here's what it's not. Confession is not trying to to get God to do something He doesn't want to do. That's not what confession is. Confession's not like trying to get your dad to give you the keys to the car. Please, I promise I'll never do it again. Please, I promise I'll have it back by 10. Confession is just buying into what God has already done. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave, past tense, forgave our sins. Before we ever knew we needed it, and oh my goodness how we need it, he went ahead and did that. So what confession is, is just saying, I need that. I need that. Because this past week, these last six days, I blew it several times. And I need that. Maybe for some of us, The thing that's keeping us from ceasing and celebrating is that there's something we just need to put on the table and say, God, this has happened. I broke my relationship with you or with somebody else. Or maybe say it for the first time, God, my life has been so far away from you. I I just name that. I just call it out, and I embrace the fact that you've already forgiven me. You've already forgiven me, and so I'm just embracing it. We don't have to prompt God to do it. He's already done it. We just reach out and grab it. And I want to invite you to do that today. So what we're going to do uh, is we're going to do some group confession. That is the most awkward thing I've ever said in public, by the way. (laughs) And I'm not going to ask you to get specific with your neighbor or anything like that. What we're going to do is there's a passage in the Bible in Psalm 51 that is a beautiful confession. And what I'm going to have you do is read this along with me as an act of all of us just confessing some stuff this last six days to God and just laying it out there. 
and receiving the fact that God has already forgiven us. And so I'm going to have you read with me, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll read another part, and then we're going to pray. And then at the end of that, we're all going to take communion together. So after that last prayer, they'll pass trays across, and I want you to just take both the cups that are in there. There's bread in the bottom and juice in the top. You don't have to be from Parkview to take communion with us. If you are chasing after Jesus, you're welcome. And maybe if this is the first time you've reached out and embraced that forgiveness, you're welcome to take communion with us. So I'm going to have the servers go ahead and move to their places. And as we take some time here and just read this together and do a little bit of confession together. So let's read together. Here we go. Generous in love, God give grace. Huge in mercy, wipe out my bad record. Scrub away my guilt. Soak out my sins in your laundry. I know how bad I've been. My sins are staring me down. God, thanks for forgiveness. Thanks that you've given it to us without us ever asking, without us even knowing that we needed it. And so we just right now, we just name this stuff that's happened in the last six days that have broken our relationship with you or with other people. And we don't do it out of fear and we don't do it with guilt. We do it just knowing what it is and that it's not supposed to be there, that it's out of line with you and it's keeping us from really celebrating, celebrating who you are and celebrating what it means to be alive. And so we just lay this in front of you right now, trusting and knowing that you've already forgiven us for it. We reach out and receive that forgiveness. Amen. Let's read together again. Soak me in your laundry and I'll come out clean. Scrub me, and I'll have a snow-white life. Tune me in to foot-tapping songs. Set these once-broken bones to dancing. Don't look too close for blemishes. Give me a clean bill of health. God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Father, thank you because you've given us forgiveness and grace. Thank you that right now we can reach out and all we have to do is reach out and embrace it. That we don't have to, to talk you into it. You've already given it. And that there's a life for us now. That we can stop in this moment and celebrate the fact that we are forgiven and that our guilt is dealt with. And we have a renewed, restored, and rested life. And we embrace that with all that we have. And right now in this moment, we say, thank you. Thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. Thank you for setting us free. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.